please open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. Last week and this week, we're giving some attention to John's instructions to children, young men, and fathers in the church or in the faith, just as a brief interlude due to the, the schedule of things that have been going on, and then we'll get back to First Peter. And we've seen that John, following Jesus' example, speaks to Christians and to the church in family terms. Jesus spoke to his disciples and called them little children. John does the same many times throughout his letters. But here in verses 12 through 14 of chapter 2, John divides the, the family or distinguishes the family into little children, young men, and fathers. And we've seen that these terms or these titles do not refer explicitly to, to age, but rather they refer to Christian maturity and experience in the faith, children in the faith, young men in the faith, fathers in the faith. And last week, we considered his instructions or encouragements to the little children, reminding them of their ABCs, their one, two, threes, their do, re, mis, and that's the forgiveness of their sins and their knowledge of God or their knowing the Father. Today, we're going to look at John's encouragements to the young men and to the fathers in the faith. So let's read our text, which is 1 John 2, verses 12 through 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We're going to first look at John's encouragements to young men or young believers. And then in the second part of the sermon, we'll look at his encouragements to the fathers in the faith. So under the heading, the first heading of encouragement to young believers, we're going to see that John gives them two encouragements but before we look at those two encouragements in particular, let me ask you, who would fall under the category, who would fit in the category of young men in the faith or young believers? How do you judge who's in each category? Do we hand out pins or badges or what are they called, epaulets? Uh, do we want to have uniforms that classify us, little children, young men, fathers in the faith, Clearly, people fall into these categories in general, but how would you know? How would you classify someone or, or place someone within the category of being a young man in the faith? Well, we saw last week that what categor categorizes or characterizes little children is that they're, they're new, they're inexperienced, they're learning the first things, the beginning things of Christianity. But what characterizes youth? or being young. We tend to think of those who are young as those who are in their teen years, 
which is somewhat true, but that's not necessarily how youth has been considered in the past. What really characterizes youth is energy, its strength, its vitality and vigor, mental and physical strength. From that perspective, being young extends well beyond your teen years. You continue to have energy and strength and vitality and vigor and mental and physical strength well past your teens, as long as you keep yourself healthy. (laughs) So whom is John addressing? He's addressing believers who have a measure of strength and energy and fortitude and vitality. They don't need to be mothered like little children. They can handle themselves. They can take care of themselves. They can take care of others. They've grown out of that child phase. They, yes, of course, hold fast to the foundation of the ABCs, the one, two, threes, and the do, re, mis. They know and they are refreshed all the time about the forgiveness of their sins and knowing the Father. They haven't graduated from those things. They still cling to those things, but they've begun to build on that foundation. They've begun to live out and work out their faith in the church, and they're strong. They've, they've grown into the faith. How does John encourage them? He gives them two encouragements. The first one is victory over the evil one. Victory over the evil one. In fact, he states this twice. First, in verse 13, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then in verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Why does John say this, and what does it mean? You have overcome the evil one. Our default thought is probably to say, in Christ we are more than conquerors. Because Jesus Christ triumphed over Satan and sin and death in our place, and because we are united to him in his death and in his resurrection, in all of his work, Therefore, we in Christ have also overcome the evil one. Satan has no claim on us. His accusations don't land against us. We are shielded. We are safe. As Paul says in Colossians, we've been freed from the dominion of darkness, and we've been translated or transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. We have overcome the evil one in Jesus Christ. And Jesus' victory over Satan is therefore our victory over over Satan. Now, this is wonderful, and this is true, but I don't think that's really what John is trying to communicate when he says that the young men or the, or the, the strong, the, the, these believers, these youthful believers have overcome the evil one. I believe that his statement, remember, fully granting the truth and the wonderful truth of what we said about our victory over, over Satan in Christ, granting that. I believe that John's words are more specifically related to the context of what this church has experienced. And if you remember, we mentioned this last week, it's important to read 1 John in light of a difficulty that they've faced. Uh, If you remember when our, our brothers Sam Gunnup and TK from South Korea were here, they kept talking about a disruption in their church. Churches face disruptions, and they face divisions, and they face conflicts. They face attacks from time to time throughout the life of the church. And the church to which John is writing very clearly has suffered a lot. And there was a group that left them. They went out from us, John says, because they were not of us. And they're 
John is writing to Christians who are at times questioning and struggling and, and finding it difficult to discern between right and wrong, between light and dark, between good and bad. But John writes to the church after this division. He's not telling them, remove such persons. He's telling them, they have gone out from you. And now I write to you, young men, and this is how I want to encourage you who are left, who have remained, who have, who have persisted after this division and after this conflict. You have overcome the evil one. You have prevailed. The Lord has given you victory. John wants them to know what has happened as painful and difficult as it was. It is good that this happened. This was a victory. This was not a defeat. But the problem is that for, for many people who go to war and experience true war, when they return, they don't feel very victorious because war comes at a bitter and terrible cost of blood and suffering. Oftentimes, your own blood whether you die or you are horribly injured, perhaps permanently injured for the rest of your life, or it costs the blood of your brothers in arms. And so many people who return from battle, for them, uh, for the people who, who remain behind, it's just a big parade of, wow, so great, soldiers and, and everything. But for the soldiers themselves, it's horrible suffering that they've experienced and they hardly feel victorious. So also by analogy, here in the church, these young men have been strong. These young believers have remained faithful in a difficult time. And those who were false have left. They're gone. The battle's over. But the battle is over. They don't feel very victorious. And John wants them to know, you are victorious. They have won a battle against Satan. And they need to be told, they need to be reassured you have done well. You have overcome the evil one. John is validating their efforts. He's affirming their efforts so they know that what they did was right and it was not in vain because it may feel like it was in vain. Yes, but we're smaller now. Yes, but there's fewer of us. Yes, but, but look at what it cost. John says it was worth it and you did the right thing. You've overcome the evil one. Sometimes victory isn't flashy. It's just faithful. We think of victory as winning 10 to 0. But sometimes you win 1 to 0 or you win 2 to 1 in the last minute of the game. Sometimes victory is not flashy. It's just faithful. Sometimes victory is simply resisting and standing firm. John encourages the church that they have maintained their unity and their truth by standing for the truth even though it was a painful process that they endured. They have overcome, even if they don't feel like it, and they are strong. This brings us to his second encouragement to them. The first was victory over the evil one. The second one is strength in the word of God. Strength in the word of God. He says this in verse 14. He says, you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. How is it that they were able to overcome the evil one? What is it that kept them steady and stable when false teachers were making them question everything and doubt themselves, the very foundations of their faith and practice? Jesus hasn't come in the flesh. 
It's okay if we live in this way. We know things that you don't know. We have secret knowledge. This is the truth. You just don't know this yet, but we know it. All these things that made them question, how is it that they were able to be strong, to resist, and to remain faithful? Their strength came from the word of God. That message from the beginning of 1 John that was taught to the apostles, and the apostles taught to them, and they have union and communion in that message. John says, that has abided in you. The message that was delivered to you has stayed with you, and you have stayed in it. Their strength, youth is characterized by strength, but their strength is not in themselves. The strength of Christian youth or Christians who are described in this category is strength in the word of God. How is it that Jesus resisted the temptations of Satan? What did Jesus do when Satan attempted to tempt him? He deflected Satan's distortions of the word of God by a correct use of the word of God. The deceiver, the manipulator, comes to us and tempts and says, has God really said to Adam? And he says to Jesus, it is written so in such and such a way. The teachers in 1 John say, no, we are true Christians, but here's what we know that you don't know. All of this that causes us to question Adam should have said, no, thus saith the Lord. God has said, we shall not eat. Jesus did do this. Jesus said, no, Satan, this is the word of God. And John is encouraging these young believers that they were strong because the word of God abided in them and it was the source of their strength. John is not calling them strong because they have some kind of intrinsic strength. He's commending them for standing for the truth and standing in the truth the word of God. And the scriptures themselves, God speaking in the word of God, tells us that the, the word of God is a sword. Swords cut and divide. Swords very clearly place something on this side and something on the other side. The sword of the spirit. Who should wield a sword? Would you give a sword to the little children? <laughs> no, you wouldn't give a sword to the little children because they will very quickly harm themselves and others. But you would give a sword to the young men. In fact, soldiers are largely comprised of young men. Young, remember, not being so much teenagers, but those who have strength and vitality. And so we see here that the young men in the church, and of course this is not restricted to men in terms of males, but those who are young men, men and women in the church, one of the things that characterizes them is that they know the scriptures and they're able to use the scriptures to discern between truth and falsehood, between what is good and what is evil. Their strength is in the word of God. They have knowledge like the little children, but they begin to use that knowledge. They begin to wield the sword of the spirit. The little children see the sword before them and they study it. They have a knowledge of the sword. The young men begin to take the sword and use it to distinguish between right and wrong, between good and evil. It's a mark of growth and maturity when you not only agree with the truth, but you also can express the truth. Your ability to use the word of God is, means that you are strong in the word of God and indicates a level of Christian maturity. 
So this is why we catechize children to give them the rudimentary knowledge so that they have the knowledge. But then what happens to those who truly remember their, their catechesis, the catechism questions that they learned, is they then begin to use those things as responses as they enter into high school or into college or into a secular job and they receive many questions and assaults from the devil. They're able to say, no, I know that that's not true because the scriptures say, and I have learned the teaching of the scriptures in question and answer form through a catechism. And so as you are able to use the word of God to distinguish between right and wrong, between good and evil, then you begin to enter into the category of young men in the faith. You wield the sword. And it's a wonderful strength in the church to have young men in the faith, men and women. And what I mean by that is this. The pastors are uh, tasked with the regular public preaching and teaching of the church. We are called to wield the sword uh, in a particular way with regularity. But it's a wonderful strength in the church when men and women in the church are also able to use the sword of the Spirit and also able to use the Word of God to minister to one another, to encourage one another, at times to correct one another. And you may think, yeah, but if they can all do that, then you're out of a job. <laughs> well, in a sense, that would be great. <laughs> What pastor wants the congregation to sit in immaturity? Would you go to a, a, an exercise coach, a, a personal trainer, who says, and I'm going to keep you unhealthy? <laughs> You'd say, that wouldn't make any sense. They want you to become fit. Would you go, if you're a teacher, you, you go to your first class in, in college, and the professor says, I'm not going to teach you anything, or I don't want you to know anything by the end of this class. You'd say, that's stupid, that's dumb, and you would leave. So also, pastors, shepherds, we want the sheep to be strong, to be mature. And one of the ways in which you are strong and mature is when you are able to help yourselves and others by using the word of God. And it's a wonderful blessing for the pastors when we see brethren ministering to brethren, counseling brethren, helping brethren. A strong church does not just have strong leaders. It has young men in the church, strong men and women who are able to understand the word and use the word for the good of the body of Christ. And they lock arms together and they march together with a united strength. Well, how can we use this teaching to frame our lives according to the word of God? I'd like to give you three uh, applications based on the, the encouragements to the young men, and then we'll move on to the fathers in the faith. So three applications based on John's encouragements encouragements to young believers. Number one, be an example of diligence. Youth is the time of strength. Youth and vitality are wasted by laziness. It irritates those who no longer have mental and physical strength to see those who do have it doing nothing. When those who are a bit older see the youth being lazy, not using the strength that they have while they have it, which they can never get back in the future, it provokes and irritates. And they say, do something. <laughs> get off your phone. Get off your, your whatever. Go out. Do something. Use your strength. The mature person knows the importance and the value of hard work. 
And so those who are, young, who are young men in the faith, remember young meaning strong, having vitality, they need to be an example of diligence that you take the strength that you have and you use it. This is the time when you are able to have the biggest output in the church in a sense. You are able to serve the most, which you will not always be able to do. And so now we're getting into that overlap between actual age and spiritual categories of maturity. Where in a normal development of, of some, I don't know if normal is the right word, but a common development of being saved earlier in your life, then you also get to dedicate those years of physical strength to the Lord as a Christian. Well, wherever you are in age, those who still have strength as believers and as just human beings need to be examples of diligence. And so if you're younger in the faith, but also younger in, in body, you still have strength and vitality, don't sit around and, and wait to be asked to do. Volunteer or say, how can I serve? How can I be of help? And be willing to push yourself to overcome obstacles. Well, I'm really busy, or well, there's a lot of things that are going on. Well, that might stress me, or it will be so much more difficult for you later in life. This is the time to serve as much as possible and be an example of diligence. And if you find yourself saying, I don't know how our parents did all these things when they were our age, you can do it too. You've just been conditioned by society and peers to think you can't because adulting is just too hard, isn't it? It's not. It is, but not if you try hard. Yes, things are difficult, but not beyond your ability. So be an example of diligence and reliance. If you have children, we're there. We're there on time. We serve. We serve in whatever way is needed. Remember when we studied in 1 Peter and it says, as each one of you has received a gift, use it to minister. Use it to serve others. And this doesn't, again, this is not flashy. It's just faithful. Maybe you don't say a lot at church. That's okay. I only say a lot at church because I have to say a lot at church. <laughs> Maybe you're not in the spotlight. But if you attend faithfully week after week, if you encourage the brethren, if you help out as the Lord has gifted you, and if you seek to grow and to utilize your gifts, if you're diligent in the ordinary faithfulness of the life of a church, if you're a diligent churchman, you contribute more than you know to the strength of the church. That's the real strength of the church. Diligent weekly churchmanship. Faithfulness. Without that, the church is here, the church is there, the church is unreliable. We need young men in the church, that is, those who have youth and strength to be examples of diligence. We're there. We're not the kind of youth that's flighty and unreliable or lazy and disinterested or can't be bothered to help. In fact, doesn't seem to even be aware that people might need help or that there are things to be done. No, we see what needs to be done and we're going to do it. We're going to be the kind of young men who, who find the most difficult thing and dedicate ourselves to that until it's done. And then you find the next most difficult thing and you dedicate yourself until that's done. And eventually all the work is finished. Which leads us in the second place, the second application, be an example of endurance. What happens when you prolong diligence? Diligence prolonged. It's endurance. Diligence is tested over time. How are your New Year's resolutions going? You're two weeks in. This is still within the zone of, okay, 
you're doing all right, but some of you may have already, <laughs> you may have already ruined your New Year's resolution. Do you have endurance? Youth has strength, youth has endurance. My son, who will remain nameless to protect his identity, is able to run miles cross country and such things. I begin to run and I get tired, but he runs and runs and runs. He still has that strength. And so also there are believers in the church who need to be examples not just of diligence, but prolonged diligence, that is endurance, faithful plodding week after week. This is not a call to climb a mountain. This is a call to march for a day. And if you march for many days, you will climb mountains. Thirdly, be an example of repentance. The call to diligence and endurance is a good call, but you should never fall into the trap that many fall into in, in a variety of different things, not just holiness, where once you begin to fail, you just give up. When it doesn't go perfectly, you just stop. So why, why strive for diligence and endurance when, I, when sin happens and conflict happens and difficulty happens? Well, the way to persevere is through repentance. We face many enemies and many difficulties in the Christian life. And those who know the word of God and are able to use the word of God, the young men of the church, they need to not only show an example of diligence and endurance, but also repentance. When we mess up, when we fall in temptation along the way of diligence and endurance, we get back up again through repentance. We hate our sin and we forsake it and we strive unto new obedience. And this is important for the little children in the faith to see. I have two older brothers, so I suffered greatly growing up. And one of the things you see is you see their failures or mistakes, and you see them also moving forward from them. But to, to speak more generally, if you see your older brother getting on a bike with no training wheels, you see him fall. And that seems really scary. I remember being scared of riding a bike without training wheels because I was afraid of falling and getting hurt. And you see them fall, but you also see that they get back up and they keep riding. And so, yeah, it'll, it will hurt. Falling is not pleasant. It's painful. But you see that they just keep going. So you know that even if I fall, it's not the end. I can get up too. I can keep riding my bike. Well, by analogy in the Christian faith, the little children need, to, need to, to look up to the young men and not think, they're so perfect. I could never be perfect. They never seem to mess up. No, rather, they need to be examples of repentance and say, I've sinned. This was wrong. And I'm going to strive to better serve my Lord in holiness. Remember that repentance is not shameful. Sin is shameful. And repentance is the way to remove the shame of sin. And so the young men who use the word of God need to use it also to repent of their sins and persevere moving forward. Well, let's consider, as we bring this to a conclusion, John's encouragements for fathers in the faith. And we'll cover three points here. Three points under the heading of encouragements for fathers in the faith. The first one is matured knowledge. Matured knowledge. John states just one thing for the fathers in the faith, and he states it twice. 
In verse 13, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Twice, John addresses the fathers in the faith with the same encouragement. You know him who is from the beginning. So why is this an encouragement for fathers in the faith? Well, by definition, a father is older. Some of us become fathers fairly early in life, but you at least are older than a little, a little child. So this is a, a, a category that does certainly overlap with certain level of age and experience in life itself, not just the Christian life. Fathers in the faith, by definition, have time in the Lord. You can't be a father in the faith if you just came to Christ yesterday. It, it's impossible by definition. So fathers in the faith, by definition, have years. They have mileage. They have experience. They've reached final stages of development and growth, just like a human father must be a fully developed human, a man, to have a child. So also fathers in the faith are matured and developed. They have matured knowledge in particular. These persons have more mileage on their odometer, more wrinkles in their skin, more pains and aches in their joints, but also more memories and experiences. They have matured knowledge. In the ESV it says, you know him who is from the beginning, but it, other translations say you have known him who is from the beginning. You, you don't just know it, you have known it. Your knowledge has miles and experience united with it that is impossible to get without spending time in the Lord. We said last week that don't confuse age with maturity or maturity with age. Not everyone who is old reaches this stage of being a father in the faith, but you can't reach this stage without spending years in the Lord. A father in the faith has been a little child in the faith. A father in the faith has been a strong young man. And they've been a strong young man over time to the point that they become a father in the faith. They didn't skip any of these steps. <laughs> they went through them all. And they have become a father in the faith. And age brings with it experience. When Jesus mixed or made wine from water at the wedding in Cana, they said to him, they said to the master of the feast, they said, why did you leave the best wine until now, the wine that Jesus made? And the best wine means the aged wine. Jesus made aged wine. He made good wine because the best wine is aged. The best wine is el añejo, Maybe you're familiar with that term. It has years on it. A father in the faith should have the best knowledge because his knowledge has years, maturity. They've seen, they've not only learned the truth, but they've learned it in contrast to, the, to falsehood. And they've also learned it as it's been proved over time. They've seen ideas rise and fall. They've seen things tried and succeed or fail. And they can say the old is better. 
They can say, the old is better. We have known the Father. They have taught God's word over time. They have used God's word over time. They have participated in the church's natural and organic self-perpetuation. They've seen the generations that follow them rise up after them. So fathers in the faith, you you do not have the same strength and vitality that characterizes young men, but you have experience. And I would exhort you to to contribute to the church your matured knowledge. Which brings us to the second point, fathering faith. Fathering faith. Being a father means you have children. Show me a father who doesn't have children, then they're not a father. And here we have fathers in the faith. To be a father in the faith, and here's what I mean. If this was just about matured knowledge, if it was just about knowing the Lord for a period of time, then he could have said older, older men. But he uses the term fathers. So it is older, it is matured knowledge, but it's also one who has participated in fathering faith in the next generation. Coming alongside the little children and rejoicing with them in their salvation. I remember when I was baptized, and one of the men in the church put his arm around me and said, welcome to the fold. It was just a little gesture, but from someone older than me in the faith, it it felt and meant a great deal to me. Encourage the little children to grasp the cross without ever letting it go. Tell them about the Lord's goodness to you throughout your life. As Peter quoted from the scriptures, you can tell them, I have tasted and seen that the Lord, he is good. Come alongside the young men and encourage them in their fight against the evil one. Don't give up. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, at times it seems like you're losing, but you have overcome the evil one. Don't give up. These are ways in which you father faith by showing the little children there is joy in the Christian faith. By showing the young men there is value in sticking it out and fighting hard. But there are also temptations that you who are fathers in the faith must face and overcome. Because el añejo isn't always better. (laughs) The aged wine isn't always better. Why? Sometimes it becomes vinegar. So the old wines are either the best or the worst. And you can be the vintage or you can be the vinegar. You need to set a good example of cheerfulness. Don't become sour or bitter. And age brings with it such temptations to become sour to become bitter and frustrated and angry and complaining. You can become vinegar, or you can be a sweet, refreshing wine in the church. There are some older persons in the faith, fathers in the faith, this is true Christianity or not. There are some older persons, let's speak in general, who no one wants to be around because they're curmudgeonly, because They're just not nice, and they're unhappy all the time. 
And then there are other old persons who are grandpa to everybody because they're still cheerful in their old age. And everyone loves to be around them. They're a grandpa to all. And so fathers in the faith, now thinking more specifically of the church, need to overcome the temptations of age, of impatience and complaining. Well, why this and why that? It, it wasn't this way when I joined the church. It wasn't this way before. Yes, sometimes things, sometimes newer things or decisions go the wrong way, and it's right for the fathers in the faith to say, no, we shouldn't go that way. But there's also times where fathers in the faith are just being ornery about things because they're different. You need to show the mature fruit of the spirit, not the rotten fruit of the flesh. The little children need to look to you as fathers and be able to ask you questions, and you need to speak to them with age and experience. The, the little children need to seek out this kind of counsel. The young men need to seek out this kind of counsel. The young men need to, need to avoid the folly of youth that says, well, we know better now. Well, they didn't know these things, and now we know. There may be truth in that, but you could also be foolish. It's not always completely one or the other. So the little children need to look to the fathers. The young men need to look to the fathers, and this is something that needs to happen organically. Don't just say, well, I'm waiting for an older woman to come and talk to me, or I'm waiting for an older man to come and, and you know, mentor me or something like that. Go speak to them. If the older ladies are meeting at the ladies' study, go to the ladies' study. If the older ladies are teaching the younger women at Titus 2, go to Titus 2. And the same for men. There's a men's study. There's a men's Titus 2 group. If you say, man, why don't the older men teach me? Are you there? <laughs> you see, you can't foster faith. You can't father faith if people don't show up. We do our best to provide an environment where, the, where this can take place. But you can bring a horse to water. You can't make it drink. And so everyone in the church needs to willingly contribute and be involved in the life of the church so that the gifts of the older can serve the younger and the strength of the younger can serve the older and all serve one another. So those who are fathers in the faith continue to father faith. Thirdly and lastly, vanguards of eternal life vanguards of eternal life. Do you know what a vanguard is? There's a vanguard and a rear guard. If you're marching in a column, the front, the first persons in your army, that's the vanguard. And the persons at the end is the rear guard, of course. The, rear guard, the vanguard are the first ones to enter enemy territory or the first ones to enter wherever it is you're marching. And the fathers in the faith, in general, are going to be the vanguards of the church in marching into eternal life. What happens when fruit is ripest? It's picked. And in the normal course of God's providence, it's the fathers in the faith who are going to be harvested into glory. And it is this perspective that John has in mind when he says to the fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. Why would John say that to the fathers? Why would that be a particular encouragement for them? 
It's because they're about to come to know the Father in a way that they never have. They've known the one who is from the beginning, and they've known him with age and experience and maturity and mileage and all the rest. But they're about to know the one who is from the beginning in, a, in such a more wonderful and marvelous way. The fathers in the faith stand closest to the brink of eternity. And John reassures them that the one they know is the one from the beginning. Do not be afraid to cross that threshold, he says. Your God, whom you have known, is the one who is immortal, who is immutable, who is eternal, everlasting, without beginning, without end. Your God, you're going to see him. You're going to know him. They are the vanguards of eternal life. They go first in the line of soldiers. You might think, no, we put the, the young, strong men in the front. Yes, in other contexts, but if we're talking about marching to eternal life, generally speaking, it's going to be the fathers of the faith. And this is something, allow me to speak plainly, this is something that our church is going to begin to experience. The Lord has blessed this church with decades. He has allowed us to grow. He's allowed these fruit trees to ripen. And it would be folly not to see that the Lord will begin to bring home some of the fathers in the faith of our church. And they need to be prepared for that, and we need to be prepared for that. They need to have a mindset. We have a duty to finish the race well. We have a duty to show the young men and the little, and the little children this is how you live in the Lord, and this is how you die in the Lord. This is how you pass from this life to the next. As Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So fathers in the faith, your duty is not only to overcome the temptations of age, it's also to finish your race well and to set an example for the rest, to live in Christ, to die in Christ, to be faithful to the last. John Stott says of the fathers in the faith, he says they are already consciously living in eternity. They already have that mindset. They can see over the horizon. The prospect of heaven and the hope of it is already deeply impressed on their hearts and in their minds. Their minds are set on things above. They do not love the world or the things of the world. Their treasure is stored up in heaven. And in that way, heaven is simply the fullness of what they've begun to receive and enjoy now. Thinking again of vintage versus vinegar, some older persons are miserable because everything that gave them joy in life has disappeared. Their physical health and strength has disappeared. Maybe their family and relationships have dissolved. Maybe their goods have also withered away when they had great plans and ideas and hopes for them. All of these things, maybe they can't eat the same things that they used to eat. All of their earthly comforts have just crumbled into nothing as they crumble. And they're miserable and upset and bitter and complaining about it. But the Christian should say, I let those things go long ago. And I'm the closest to enjoying the best things, the best thing, the best one, God himself. All these things that dissolve and crumble away beneath them, they say, it's only brought me closer and closer and closer in age and in time and in experience 
to being with God forever. Fathers in the faith need to be the helpers of the younger generation by being an example, by being the vanguards of eternal life, to say, we're marching there, not trembling. Yes, there is a fear. Yes, there is at times questions and doubts, but there's also faith and hope and courage. And this is done as we set our eyes on Jesus Christ. Because the young men cannot look to the fathers in the faith unless the fathers in the faith are examples of Jesus. Nehemiah Cox, a 17th century particular Baptist, said, If we would have our death to be as gainful and comfortable as other faithful saints, we must make the glory of Christ the highest end and design of our lives as they did. In other words, if you know a Christian who died in a comfortable and profitable way, profitable meaning it's a blessing to others, they for themselves were comfortable and at peace, and their life was profitable to others, if you, if you would have your death to be the same, peaceful for you and a benefit for others, then he says you must make the glory of Christ the highest end and design of your life. Because if that's the highest end and design, then you finish and then you meet him. <laughs> But if, it's, if you get to here and it's, if only I would have during my life, if only I had accomplished something else, something else, something else, something else, what profit is that to other people other than old age is full of disappointment? But if you say, I have lived for Christ and to die is gain, <laughs> then others can profit from your death as they say, may the Lord give me the same faith and courage on that day. So it's not so much you, fathers in the faith, that they imitate as it is Christ in you. You need to live in eternity now so that when you enter into eternity, you greet it with joy and peace. So brothers and sisters, in conclusion, to go from little children to young men to fathers in the faith, there's no secret keys to success. There's no hidden knowledge. There's no pay your way uh, through levels of, of knowledge to, to advance in the Christian faith, it's quite plain and simple. The forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, knowing him who is from the beginning, being strong in God's word, these are more than enough to begin well as little children in the faith, to endure well as young men in the faith, and to end well as fathers in the faith. May the Lord help us to do so. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have so blessed our church that we have little children in the faith, we have young men in the faith, we have fathers in the faith. Our men and our women know you. Their sins are forgiven. They are strong in your word. We pray that you would help the little children to grow into young men, that you would help the young men to grow into fathers in the faith, that you would help the fathers in the faith to finish their race well. We pray, Lord, that you would build us up and prosper us. We thank you that we do not walk this path alone, but as a family, as your church, as your people. We thank you that Jesus has paved the way and that we can follow him into the peace and the joy and the light and the life of eternity. We bless you, Father, and ask for your help in Jesus' name.